Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. My goal is to increase quality and velocity, right? So I don't want to just start pumping out more stuff for the sake of more, but you also can't move too slow, do too much planning and just kind of hide behind the quality or like strategy umbrella. And so what I'm putting together is like, you know, who's on the team, what they're responsible for, what are our operating principles? What are the short-term, long-term bets that we're going to make in the next 30, 60 days and kind of beyond you start to do some aspirational stuff for 2023 and then a timeline for each of those projects. And the reason this is really important it, for me, it's helpful because I get to take all my thoughts and put it down and organize it. What's up, Tabman? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Thank you. Thank you. This is actually a cool start because you are starting a new role at Clary. So I want to just like start asking the question like, when you're starting a new role in content marketing, how are you thinking about like the first 30, 60, 90 of like building out this content strategy for a company? So the first thing is I spend the first two to four weeks on a listening tour. So I'm not going to count the onboarding, like, you know, here's our culture, here's our product. Every, everyone has a version of that, but uh, in tandem and then kind of for that first 30 ish days is a listening tour where I'm going to various sales leaders, marketing leaders, executives, uh, all the way down to individual contributors in the marketing department. And really just hearing, uh, other than, you know, kind of like meet and greets and getting to know folks is, you know, kind of what's your take on the content today? What's your take on the brand today? What's working? What's not working? So I can start to really hear the voice of the company. And what will happen is I start to see trends that are kind of like, Hey, I'm hearing this in multiple places. And sometimes those are larger opportunities. And then also you get uh, some of the more tactical, emotional, fast things that can get solved. And so one of the questions that I ask folks is, you know, hey, Daniel, what do you love and what do you hate about content here today? I know that you don't actually love or hate any of these things probably, but I want to get a really emotional response out of folks. And so that's what I'm kind of doing for the first 30 days. I'm not solving problems. I'm not, you know, I'll, I'll give some advice if it's asked, but my goal, I don't think in the first 30 days is to come in super hot and start trying to solve all the problems. I love the setting of foundation because a lot of people, they try to solve something in the first like 30 days and they try to like make an impact without like learning what the current state and also a lot of people there's also like a lot of organization things that are the content that people don't have to get like you have to yeah. change them and you have to create a mentality and if you just come in there and say i'm changing how we're doing things people are just going to be like yeah who's this guy he doesn't know who i am he doesn't know the current business why is he doing x y and z yeah no one wants the new you know boss guy boss gal coming in and just like you know shifting up too much at once and by the way, I just ended 30 days. I think I'm like on day, I don't know, 33. So we're heading into the the second, uh, you know, the 60 days, which is now it's like people want to plan, right? You've been here for a little while. You've observed, you have background knowledge. What is the kind of like next 30 and 60 days look like? That's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm actually in the middle of, of creating the, the pitch deck or the strategy deck for the team. 
But now it's starting to take, okay, what are the big bets and long-term things that we need to start doing now? And that could be things like, hey, we should start really investing in our LinkedIn channel or our organic channel would be the headline. So like maybe a podcast, maybe it's social media. What are the kind of like seeds we should start planting now so we get the return sooner than later because they do take a little bit of time. And then the all, all the way down to the foundational things, which are like, hey, what are some of the things that our content marketing, our brand tone, our brand image, what are some of the things I think we should just do quick, quick tweaks, right? That can be, and, and you know, easy stuff from landing pages to the email copy that's going out today and kind of just like how we operate and how we work. My goal is to increase quality and velocity, right? So I don't want to just start pumping out more stuff for the sake of more, but you also can't move too slow, do too much planning and just kind of hide behind the quality or like strategy umbrella. And so what I'm putting together is like, you know, who's on the team, what they're responsible for, what are our operating principles, what are the short-term, long-term bets that we're going to make in the next 30, 60 days and kind of beyond. You start to do some aspirational stuff for 2023 and then a timeline for each of those projects. And the reason this is really important for me, it's helpful because I get to take all my thoughts and put it down and organize it. But it's also really important as a content leader to be able to communicate to the business and to the executive team, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And sometimes you share a little bit of the how. I love the thoughtfulness of how you're setting it up. And I also think it's cool to see the process that you're doing now. Since you grew into your role at Gong to content, how did you like start coming up with this the strategy of doing this? Because you kind of, did you do the same thing at Gong? Like, what's the difference of like coming into a role where the content engine was really good at first versus like being in a role like, a total, a total like greenfield rollway. I mean, Clary's been around for a while, but like yeah. the content is not like at the same level as like other sure. companies. Yes, definitely. So yeah, so at Gong, it was like, you know, Chris Orlob for, I don't know, for those who know, like Chris Orlob was my predecessor there. You know, he got it off the ground in a great way with the Gong Labs blog and some research and, and some webinars. Like he definitely set a really strong foundation. And so my job there was to kind of scale. Like we were already at like phase, we'll call it phase two. You got a little bit of content market fit. You got a good feel, but we need to like really blow this thing up, scale it out. And so that was my goal. And it was also easy, but challenging because when you're just one person on the team, you can move super quick. You know, there wasn't a lot of approval layers. There was nine people on the marketing team, right? So you can move really, really quickly. And then I scaled the team out into seven people uh, over three years by the time that I left. The differences at at Clary is I adopted a team, right? This is a almost 10 year old company and there's three, I think there's three people on the team today. And so instead of scaling yourself over and over, you know, and just adding people and, and kind of having that vision, it's more of a transition. So I need to meet people where they're at, explain kind of point B of my philosophy where I want to get us to, and then put those steps kind of like I mentioned in the plan of like how we're going to get there and how we're going to scale. So like, Phase one of this is kind of like the forming aspect of this team, right? Kind of recalibrating what we care about, why we care about it, how we're going to operate. And then you go into the scale mode. So I, I have this like headline on my on my Q4 priorities is like, we are in build mode, not scale mode. You have to build the foundation, get some of that momentum going before you can hit scale and really start to do a lot of velocity. How do you think about content strategy different than the generic content that's out there right now because 
the question I had is like more like, how do you think about creating that like thought leadership content that is different in the market that people aren't seeing right now, that people aren't consuming right now versus like creating the content that's already been out there for years? Most companies are really light on top of funnel and thought leadership in terms of the quality and the quantity, but they're usually really heavy on like bottom funnel, like case studies, uh, how to use our product or even just like how our product works, right? So like I don't know if you want to call product led content or product topics. The problem with that is it doesn't really help you capture new attention into the market, right? So if you're constantly talking about, uh, and I'll pick on Airmeet because I know they're a sponsor and I've worked with them as well. They're good people. If Airmeet was only doing, here's how to use Airmeet to run a digital event. Here's how Airmeet is better than the competitor. Here's how Drift uses Airmeet to win. That's really good, but it only works if I'm already in the funnel, if I'm already kind of in the mindset that I need an event, you know, digital event solution. But what you need to do is you need to win mindshare before you can win market share. So that means you need to capture attention, get people to know, like, and trust you. And then you'll pull with thought leadership content, then you'll pull them down into that mid-level bottom funnel content that, you know, I just mentioned a few examples of. So for me, I kind of have like, you know, again, it depends on, you know, how, uh, you know, are you selling enterprise? Are you PLG? Are you big? Are you small company? But I would kind of do like a three to one to one ratio of like thought leadership, top of funnel, one bottom, uh, middle, middle funnel content, one bottom of the funnel and be really intentional about making sure there's like connective tissue between that. So like the topic and everything kind of like aligns and resonates, because I think if what your goal should be, in my opinion, is building an audience and ideally an owned audience with this top of funnel thought leadership content, it's agnostic of your product. You're going to get a lot of trust. You're going to build trust and credibility at scale. Then when you go to make your ask, your offer, hey, here's more about us. Here's a webinar, you know, you should sign up for. Here's an event you should sign up for. You're going to get a lot more engagement and to move people through the funnel faster because you spent that time up front building that familiarity and trust. A lot of content teams that I've seen out there, the content team just owns like, the blog or they own like SEO or they own like, it's not like owning like, and content is just everything. Like everything in the business yeah. is content. Like when you think about it, what are some things that someone as a head of content should be owning? Because like, besides just the blog, like what channels are you thinking of distributing the content on? Um, how do you work with other teams to do that? Or is that under your team? It totally depends. At Gong, I, I own channels actually. So like I own the podcast, I owned uh, email marketing, the blog, re- which is kind of resource center included, thought leadership, which is blog, but not, all, you know, not necessarily, but it's usually written SEO, social media. It's like we owned those channels and all the content that went into it. And the way I kind of view the framework, uh, Daniel, zoom back real quick is like there's owned and then there's supported. Owned is the things that content is you know, owns and is responsible for, we run it end to end with some support potentially. Supported is content is your marketing. Like you, everyone needs content. Digital needs content, website needs content, like product market, everyone needs help writing or putting thoughts together. And so that's where we have the supporting function where we're helping write, you know, ad copy. We're helping with, I don't know, various case studies and stuff like that. So it's kind of those, those two core buckets. So back to Gong, we own channels and that worked for us. Also, oddly, content was on the demand gen team. So like, it doesn't matter where you are per se, 
now that I'm at Clary, uh, I'm on the corporate marketing or and product marketing is one house and then growth or dimensions on the other house. So I'm under product marketing, corporate comms, and we are building those own channels, but we're mostly a supportive function right now. But we're like, I was kind of mentioning with my strategies, we're going to tilt that. So yes, we are still supporting the organization, but we should still also own the strategy, own the nar- narrative with product marketing and some of those own channels. Yeah, actually, that's funny because my next question was going to be with like, how do you balance internal company needs and company content versus like versus creating content that the market needs, your audience needs, uh, like the balance between those two, like, yeah. And I think you kind of hit on that, but like, right now, are you you're starting with a supporter because that's content that could be created pretty fast. The other one was kind of more like setting up the foundation to start doing these own channels and then also yeah. other channels that you yeah. have. Yes. Well, perfect timing because I'm working on the Q4 and Q1 editorial calendar <laughs> right now. So this is how we think about it. So the first thing I start with for any content strategy is the CEO slide. If you're working on B2B org, almost every company has uh, the CEO at the beginning of the year shows you the CEO slide. These are the three to five strategic company initiatives that you that the company has to do to be successful that year. They've committed it to the board, you know, VPs and execs buy into it and they start to cascade how they're going to support those initiatives. What I do is I start the CEO slide. It's usually the first one's usually revenue, like increase 50%, 40%, double, whatever it is. Second one could be things like uh, create or, you know, continue to dominate a category. Third could be, I like to call it the new thing, which is like new verticals, new products, new geos, whatever that new big growth initiative is. And then you usually get a couple more after that. And so what I do is I look at the editorial calendar and I start with the CEO slide. Which of these initiatives can our content support directly and then indirectly? So for us today, right now, it was it's category and it's it's the new things, which is new verts. So those are the people I have to keep happy. I want to keep them happy. It's going to keep the lights on for the company, help us grow. But if I deliver on that, it's also going to help me get resources and trust and headcount to continue to grow my team because I'm, you know, I'm actually helping move the needle. So I start there. What are those teams? What are the then the topics that are going to help those teams? That's kind of bucket one. Bucket two is the uh, kind of things like you said, the market. What does the market want? And that's where you kind of get split thought leadership and top of funnel. So to me, thought leadership is when you're shaping the conversation. So you're either presenting a new point of view, starting a new conversation or reshaping an existing one. Content marketing are kind of more already accepted things that people want to hear about, want to talk about top of funnel, all good, but they're a little bit more common and maybe other people have talked about it, right? So then I start to break those down. And start to think, okay, which of these are going to also support category, also drive, you know, lead capture, lead gen, all those sort of So I'm starting to kind of balance this out the best that I can. Then I do kind of the nitty gritty top, mid, bottom funnel, even though we all know the funnel doesn't really exist. And then also start to look at personas from there. That's kind of how I start to do it. It gets a little, it goes from really sporadic and ideas to like more buckets and then precise kind of like topics and uh, timing on delivery. But I have a good point. Like you, the funnel doesn't really exist. It's kind of people. The funnel is how people buy has changed in the last ten years. So, like, if the funnel doesn't exist, how do you think about like 
buckets of content because there's because the way I kind of think about it is like more by distribution channels versus like funnel. Like I think of it as like social is my top of funnel awareness, getting people to know me more. The, my middle funnel in the sense of middle funnel are like the deeper conversations that we're having, whether it's like this virtual event or yeah. a podcast or a webinar. And the, the like the lower funnel content could be like a course or like stuff that's in your product, like to help people yeah. like become better in your product. So I think of it more of as like what distribution channels could fit content versus like, because top of funnel inherently is like, to me is, oh, people just need to, are getting to learn about us. So I'm trying to stay top of mind. I'm building trust in the long term. So I just interested in how you think about that. That's definitely part of it, I think, is like channel distribution. I view it as like social and email are publication channels and promotional channels, right? So top, you can say you're, you know, called thought leadership or whatever kind of like awareness content, right? Because social media is the best for uh, audience reach and growth, right? If you have 10,000 people on your email list, doesn't really matter what you say, you're still going to have 10,000 people. But if you have 10,000 LinkedIn followers, for example, and you post something, you might get a hundred new followers or a thousand new followers. And that's more people kind of in your sphere of influence. So I like to think of it as that way. And then for a B2B company's LinkedIn page, I actually have a split and I have like a very intentional content calendar that leans top of funnel, heavy awareness content, right? Educational, inspiring, ed entertaining content. But it's also part of my job to make sure that the market knows we have new products, that there's how to use those products, that there's customers that are happy with us. And so I have a smaller section of that content that promotes those stories, those narratives, right? To support, you know, our community, our customer marketing, our product teams, et cetera. So I kind of view it like that. Uh, my goal is to pull people from, is to convert the attention that I have on non-owned social media channels into owned email, right? So I can start to market to them directly. Uh, and that's, you know, again, a more direct way to get people to do whatever action that you want. What are some channels that uh, you're doubling down on or thinking about in the future for distributing content? Like, honestly, I, I know this is like the maybe obvious thing to say, but like, I think TikTok is actually a place that people, that B2B companies should be on with some caveats and we can dive into that. Again, I'm looking at which channels are going to give me reach. And right now I, I think of it as which social media channels are mature versus immature. And I don't mean the people on them. I mean like the product that's, you know, the platform itself, Facebook, Twitter, way more mature. LinkedIn, less mature. It's still like, we're just starting to hit this like starting tipping point of like, you know, creators really being on LinkedIn and TikTok is the least mature. And so I like to look at those green spaces on the less mature platforms, see if I can get my flag in the ground, differentiate myself quickly, build an audience. So when my competitors, uh, rather be product competitors or attention competitors, join that platform or really start to take it seriously, they're years behind, they're months behind because I've already been here building that audience. So I would say TikTok for the social part. The other one on more of a double down versus new uh, would be podcast. There's a reason the radio has been around forever and people still listen to it. I think audio content's phenomenal. You can get two for one and do kind of like what we're doing now. I know this isn't a podcast, but you could make it a podcast or you can take podcast content and make a video. And then it also provides a ton of opportunity to recycle and repurpose content 
uh, with the content waterfall framework, right? So you can turn a 30 minute video interview like this into probably a dozen or more pieces of micro content, whether it's video snippets or just the, you know, written content from the conversation. I love the, the taking this and making podcasts and cutting up, but how do you, how do you, when you go and structure a content team, like who are your key hires to have on a content team mm-hmm. one? And then do like, how do you balance like hires versus freelancers versus writers for a content team? The first easy thing to answer is when I'm picking a freelancer, I only work with folks that I would hire full time if I could, or if they wanted to. I don't think that it makes sense to have like freelancers be just another set of hands and they don't have to be that good. They're just going to off, you're just going to offload work. You're basically saying I'm okay with mediocre content and I'm going to take that mediocre content and fuel my now mediocre content strategy. Like there's no place for that in my book. So like I had a really built out team at, uh, at Gong. I've tried to hire every single one of them, like two, three times a year, I call them and I'm like, Hey, I just want to make sure, like, would you ever come work for me? Like a full-time job and you know, for whatever reason, they're very happy being freelancers. So it doesn't work out, but I get to keep them on staff. So that's the quick one. And I'll go back into how to scale with freelancers in a sec. When I'm hiring a content marketing team or scaling it out, typically content marketing managers or, con- you know, in that realm or, or editing, editing folks, which is a different skill and mindset, usually a little bit more analytical and um, process oriented is I'm looking at where am I at today? And I look at that pitch deck. I go back to that pitch deck, right? And I think, okay, these are the things I've committed to where are the gaps? First thing I think of is what do I need help with and what am I not good at? Or another way to put it is I need to hire someone who's better than me at at least one thing. So if I'm really great at blog writing, I'm not going to hire another blog writer. If I'm really good on video, I'm not going to hire another person or, you know, can edit video. I'm not going to hire another person. So I'm looking for diversity of talent aside from the obvious things of like diversity of, I guess you're background, I always try to make, use the right wording on in the diversity conversation, but you know what I mean? Uh, and as well as cognitive uh, diversity as well. So I'm looking for that. I've found that generalists that are really strong writers tend to be great for the startup and the new uh, startup land and for the new and forming up and coming content teams. Because realistically, one hour you might be writing, the next hour you might be planning, the next hour you might be delivering, you know, content speaking, you know, it's a market facing people or internally. So I found as long as you have a good background, understand kind of the mechanics and psychology of marketing and you can write, I can kind of plug you anywhere. I can put you into social media for a little bit. I can put you on the webinar schedule. I can do a lot of different things and move people around because that flexibility is really important early stage. Once you get to a more uh, mature team in a larger company, then you get really more specialized, right? So I'm hiring a dedicated editor. Uh, hiring someone dedicated to enterprise content marketing or someone just running multimedia, which is like maybe podcast and video. But when you're a young team, you don't really have any, you know, your budget's tight. You don't have the opportunity to get that specialized that quickly. One thing I think that you're really good at that I, I want to get your perspective on is like you crushed a gong because you're great at content, but also you just great at creating content because you know the audience very deeply. Right. So how do you think about hiring people that balance the deeply knowing the audience? Because there's a lot, and it's hard to find those people who are also very good at content versus hiring people that are good at content and then they have to figure out the audience. The truth is, 
I would have been much less successful had I went to get GitHub, right? And, or started marketing to developers as a sales guy, like no doubt in my mind, definitely, you know, maybe not a marketing superpower, maybe it's a luck, you know, luck of the draw or whatever, but like, yeah, I was a salesperson for longer than I've been a marketer. Right. And then I went into marketed to salespeople. So like, that's a huge leg up and advantage. I got lucky with my first hire there. He'd never spent a day in sales, but he just knew he either knew it already or picked up the lingo and the like vernacular really, really quickly and kind of already had that like sales mindset. He's a growth marketer. So I think that helps for the rest of the team though. I don't have that expectation. Uh, two things. One, remember if I already have the skill, I don't need more. You know, if you have a team of four, you don't need two people that know sales. One is enough, especially if I was leading the team. I was editing a lot of stuff. I could provide the direction. The other part is like, what are the, it take me forever to find salespeople turned marketers if that's only people I hired, right? And try to get that background. So what I did instead was just have really dedicated coaching, I would say coaching plans, like part of onboarding, but then ongoing, I had a lot of different ways that I would make sure that folks were picking up, you know, the sales speak, right? The language that we use, the tone, uh, certain things around seasonality, and it's just ongoing coaching. If you have a team and you're like, hey, I sell to you know, developers and I, I pick on them because it's like one of the hardest audiences. I think actually data scientists might be the hardest uh, audience from what I've heard. But like if you're a marketer trying to market to data scientists and you've never really interacted or known them, then you have to set up processes internally around subject matter experts, right? You have to have a content waterfall. You need sources of information, of credibility and of uh, industry expertise that you can pull from, turn those insights, polish them up and put them into, you know, insightful and relevant content. We just talked about who needs to be part of the team and how they should be on the team. How do you prove ROI of content that people will give the content team budget? Cause I know this yeah. is like a struggle, even though everybody's saying now that everybody should be a media company, everybody should create <laughs> content. But still, like it's one of the under most underinvested like groups. Yeah, in, in marketing team, how do you fight that? I know you. I mean, you've worked with companies that have really invested in it. But like, how do how would you recommend getting budget or getting resources for content team? Yeah, I was gonna say uh, it was Dave Gerhardt, right? He's like, life's too short to work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing, not content. Mm-hmm. So honestly, like, yeah, Gong, the CEO used to be a CMO. The CMO is a big brand guy, you know, into, into content. So I probably would never even went there, you know, and had that opportunity if they weren't. Then when I was evaluating opportunities and Clary specifically, the number one thing is, is the CEO bought it on marketing, ideally category, but that's kind of my little niche thing I like to work on. And is the like SVP CMO, are they all in on content? If the answer is not a definite yes, then for me, it's a definite no, I don't want to work there. So I know folks listening, like you might not have that opportunity right now to just switch or move, but just keep that in mind the next time you're moving to a new company. Don't go anywhere where it's going to be a constant uphill battle to get a LinkedIn post out, to get $1,000 for a certain project. Like just don't waste your time there. That said, even me and even at, you know, companies that love content, you still have to prove the impact of your work. And so there's a couple of ways you can do it. I think the first way is to set specific KPIs and growth goals and to show your work or what I call closing the loop. So for example, if let's say you're like, Hey, uh, you know, Daniel, you're my CMO. Hey, I need $20,000 and I'm going to get a podcast off the ground. Cool. Why? What's that going to do for the business? 
your answer can't just be, well, you know, uh, Marketing Millennials has a really sweet podcast. They have, this other company has a really good podcast and it, and it works for them. That's too fluffy. Like most, you know, that's that's not just too fluffy. That's just not concrete enough to show you know what you're talking about. And so what you need to do is to, again, go back, align to whatever you're trying to build to company goals, and then build some sort of KPIs, even if they're not perfect, to show like, hey, this is what we're going to see. Podcast is probably the best and worst example, because as you know, Daniel, it's the hardest thing to measure and it's like terrible, but it's a great exercise. I actually did it last night. I got approval from pitching a podcast idea. So I'm excited for that. But what I did was like, hey, here, the first part of the framework is like content consumption. We are just looking for our people engage, seeing and engaging with the content because that means we're getting our narrative and our message out to the market. That's super important. Then you can put in things like I was mentioning, can you turn LinkedIn followers into email subscribers? Now you're feeling demand gen and making their life easier. And then making sure every month, quarter, whatever sequence makes sense for you, that you're setting goals, logging like your, your progress towards them, and then sharing that with, again, your CMO, the whole marketing org, and ideally as many people across the organization that are interested, because you want to show them that you're making progress, that you're growing and you're helping the company. On the podcast talk, yes, it's the hard, one of the hardest things to measure and one of the hardest things to grow in a company, but it is, it's one of the best channels to distribute and create multiple pieces of content from. Um, it's probably the what the best that besides like maybe a YouTube show or something like that. Yeah. You could create LinkedIn clips, you can create blogs off of it, you can create multiple. So like that's another thing where you could talk about to your like like CMO and stuff like I know we're creating but we can create eighty pieces of content and we just do one podcast with one yeah. two podcasts a week. Just from that one podcast. Totally. Um, you were ahead of the game at uh, Gong, and Gong has been seen as like the the mecca of like content marketing because you were there and other people are there. What do you think the future of content marketing, especially in B2B, is like how should people be thinking about the future of content marketing? Because it has changed a lot, but some people are still running like the whole <laughs> content marketing playbooks. I think it starts with an internal mindset shift that you kind of touched on it, Daniel. One is like content is king, right? Everyone's like, yeah, content's king. And then you look at your marketing strategy and you're like, content is definitely not treated like a king. Content is treated like a jester or a peasant. <laughs> it's like you, you're, you'd be so lucky to be here. You know what I mean? And, and you're an order taker and you're not usually, you know, you don't have a strategic, uh, you don't have a seat at the table. And so that has to shift. People have to realize that the habits that they have every day, CEOs, executives included, they consume an absolute insane amount of content. It influences them at an incredible amount. And yet when they go to run their business, they don't take that into consideration because you can't see the math. I cannot see direct correlation from podcast to revenue. Therefore, we shouldn't do podcasts, but I can see a direct correlation from paid ads into revenue or pipeline. So let's just keep dumping our cash into that. But again, as you know, that doesn't do demand creation. That does lead gen and demand gen. And so it's like, that's what you're doing and you're trading the trade-off. So when you continue that cycle, all you're left with is more or less dumping dollars into paid advertisement. It only has, it has a limited capability, right? And, and a, um, was it uh, limited return on investment, mitigated, uh, I'll forget the phrase, but you only get so much out of it. And so 
that has to happen first. People have to make that shift first. So then you go, okay, what do we do with that? It's the point. I saw someone, we'll get to it uh, in the questions, like you have to like flip your funnel concept. The funnel is like this, right? So we're saying there's more people in awareness than there is in consideration. Yet we can create, if you flip it, people are creating more consideration content than they are awareness content. So it's like, we have to become the media company to use that phrase, create content that has nothing to do with your product, but solves problems and captures the hearts and minds of your audience and build that trust, make audience building a key KPI for your marketing org. And then when you're executing it, as you start to build out a flywheel and start to really operationalize all that, you're going to start to see impact on across the business from talent acquisition all the way down to revenue and everything in between. There's a big statement that's been for the last probably year or two that every company is a media company. A lot of people don't actually know what like that means. Yeah. And I, how do you like separate what a media company is and what like content is? Cause I think like those are two different concepts and how do you think about it? And should media be a part of content or should it be two separate entities in content? I think you should have a head of content, head of content strategy, whatever you want to call them that owns content marketing and this media company. It's possible to have them be two different roles, but I don't know. I don't think that's a house we're splitting. I think that's, that should be together. They should be working really tan in tandem. And I've done, I've done that in tandem. So I, I've seen it work. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to actually become, uh, maybe we could pick on, on we can do you, Daniel, or, or Justin Welsh, but like I put this on Twitter the other day, a couple of weeks ago, maybe you saw it when I was like, when does a personal brand become a media company? It's kind of a fair question. I was like actually thinking about it. And the reason why is I was on Justin Welsh's newsletter and I think of you guys kind of somewhat similarity, uh, similarly, which is like individuals who put out a bunch of content, then they shifted their stuff into uh, a newsletter, right? And you, you know, you get, you get sponsorships on your newsletter. You have digital events that you get sponsors for, right? I, I don't know the behind the scenes. I'm just as an outsider, like I'm guessing you're making money through these channels via the marketing, uh, millennial, marketing millennial. Justin Walsh, same thing with his stuff, right? He sells courses. That's a little bit different, but you get the idea. So I'm like, to me and myself included, the moment that your personal brand is now mo is being monetized or personal brand, meaning your content is being monetized and you become a media company in my book, because every company's a media company is kind of bullshit because that's not true. A media company is effectively makes content and gets paid for the content in some way, shape or form. It's part of their business model. So companies who go, I'm a media company, we're making content. If your content is not driving revenue, you are not a media company. You just have a content team. And that's why it's hard to get headcount. And that's why it's hard to get strategic seat at the table. So what you need to do is figure out what is your media strategy and how are you going to convert that attention into revenue? Once you hit that cusp, you become a media company. And I think the problem is a lot of people think too much of like product content, product content. That's not a media company. That's a hundred percent. I love, I love that. I mean, it, I, that's my view on media. I think like, and there's different ways you can monetize media. It's either through creating a funnel and the, the bottom of the funnel is the product and you try <laughs> to sell product. Like that's like Justin Welsh's model Yep. or like traditional media company, which kind of is my media company right now, which I'm trying to do the bottom of the funnel, but you could start setting up monetization strategies of like, but I think the big shift in my head in the last like year or so of what like content should be thought of is content should be thought as a product. 
you should be thinking of it as a product and how could that product make money? And then whether that the, the, the money is selling your product at your company or is it the, the content is making money. But if you, if you have that mindset shift, yep. then you start creating content that actually is good, not content that's yeah. like it's trying to drive bad behavior. 100%. Think of like a production line for like, I don't know, iPhones just because that's on my thing. Like you have parts and pieces and you have a dedicated process, right? And then you have a known output. So you have predictable inputs and outputs. You have super high quality. And what are you thinking about? Will somebody buy this? Is this good enough, different enough for people to want it and buy it? Content is the same thing. It's the exact same thing. I know Disney's a freaking behemoth and doesn't like no one here probably can really identify with them. But think about their streaming platform. Their content is not about Disney. None of their content or experiences is like how great Disney is, how to use Disney to do this, how to do that. None of that. It's all you know, well, I have two daughters, so it's like princesses and, you know, big storytelling and cool behind the scenes documentaries and all this cool. It's content that's entertaining. Our content can do the same, but it has to be less entertaining. We're not Pixar, but an informational about our, our, about our product, our, our student, our solution, our company. That's how you can start to think of it that way. Disney doesn't talk about how great they are. They just entertain and inform. I think at Disney, I think of Red Bull, I think of all these companies, you know, sort of that's like the true media company in my book is like when you actually embrace that like content is the way to drive business instead of having content as a way to support other marketing funders. Because then if you're saying that content is to support demand gen, then you're saying that demand gen is the only way that you could drive business and content if it's like that's supporting content. Um, there's some good questions here. It's like someone says, during podcasts, what are some CTAs that you can recommend to engage the audience? There's a bunch of stuff. What, the thing I focus on first is what content or event offer. And those are the world I dwell in. There's community, you know, there's other things. But like, I want connective tissue from the topic of what I just talked about into the offer. So for an example, based on the conversation today, right? If Daniel's like, hey, by the way, uh, you can go download this product marketing playbook, go get it now. I don't think that many people will download it because we would not have been talking about product marketing. But if you had a checklist for your first 90 days as a content marketing manager, then I bet you people would be like, you know, go get that in the show notes. People have just been educated for now 40-ish minutes. Or if you showed up a little late and those technical issues a little less, moving over to that content is a pretty quick and easy jump. So I think of it more in that way versus like, what is the offer itself? Is it an event? Is it community? Is it whatever? I don't know. But like, that's yes. Eric, make sure your CTA is relevant to the topic at hand. Thank you for saying it in eight words or less. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I think about it, even like with media and stuff. Like, just think about like sponsorships and things. Like, I always like think about like, if I'm doing an event, does the sponsor match like the audience that I'm going to do an event for? Or is it just a random sponsor? Like, cause then the sponsor feels like natural to like the progression of right. the event. Um, or is when you, when you're giving an offer, does like, if you're doing a content marketing, like we're doing here, does like the end offer, is it going to be like something related to content marketing or is it just going to be like go check out my influencer playbook that does nothing to do with content and everything to do with like something else. Like that was a bad example, but that's, I, I, I agree. Like relevant CTAs are 
the best. And I, there's a question up here too that says like, what are some other types of content marketing outside of thought leadership? Have you seen being successful for middle of funnel? Because not all companies have the budgets yeah. to work with up of funnel. There's kind of two different questions there because budget is, it's like time, right? If you have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of budget, it's more about what you prioritize. So that's how I would kind of think about it first. What are you prioritizing? And is it really going to help you grow an audience, convert that audience into customers? Or is it maybe a little too middle funnel heavy? So that's kind of the first part I'd say. So remember, thought leadership is creating a new or reshaping a, a, an existing conversation, right? So it's new points of view. You can do that across a webinar. I think we did some of it today, right? We were talking about what's a media company? What is it not? How do you get there? Like to me, that's thought leadership because we're forming a conversation. We're adding our new perspectives and we're moving a conversation forward. The first 90 days, that's a little bit more like, that's not really, I don't know if the thought leadership, I'm, you know, it's kind of an accepted topic. Uh, it's kind of been talked about a lot. I don't know if everything I said was you know like super groundbreaking, but it was still very helpful, hopefully. So I think it's just important to think of like, what are you really what is the message you're saying and, and like, what is the kind of purpose behind it? Other types of thought leadership I'm reading is like formats, right? So like to me, it, it doesn't really matter if it's a blog, you know, is it written? Is it spoken? Is it video or you know, audio or video? That's really up to kind of, again, your in-house abilities and going to your point, Daniel, the distribution, like where's your audience today? Uh, someone was telling me, keep trucking, uh, launched a pot. Uh, well, and that's their old name. They changed to something, but like keep trucking, Sold to truckers. What do truckers do? They're in their, their their trucks all day. So they can't watch videos. They can't read because they're driving. But they launched a podcast that was super successful because they knew they had their attention while they're, they can listen. Right? So you can provide thought leadership, top of funnel, whatever fun, top, you know place of funnel, if that distribution model aligns with your audience. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I was talking about before. Like middle funnel to me, like is just in-depth content. Like <laughs> um, it's more like for the topic that you're trying to for your company like i think like top of funnels just for me is just a way to get attention to bring people yeah. from non-owned channels and it is other things too i'm i'm, yeah. I'm generalizing but like yeah. for paid media it's different like paid media you have to tell more of a story that is yeah. related to your company because uh, but like with content you could kind of be I like to call it the Costco sampler of like like yeah. your your content on social. Like it's just a Costco sampler. I also want to go into like what are some things because you you've seen the space for a while. Like what are some things that you think that people should stop doing in content right now and start focusing on uh, on other things? I would say philosophically the. Problem a lot of content marketing teams have, and this is not their fault, this is the expectation set on them, is that it's a volume game. If we had more webinars, if we had more social media posts, if we had more blogs, we would be better off. The truth is, if you look across your content marketing or content strategy today, there's probably kind of like sales reps where that's like the sales team has like 20% of the team, does 80% of the revenue and vice versa. So to me, it's instead of trying to go super wide, multiple channels, you know, multiple personas, all that stuff, try to do everything at once, be really focused and nail content market fit on like one channel or one persona. Uh, and that's what we did, you know, at gone with the research block. You know, we knew we had the right topics. We had a differentiator with data and we delivered it over LinkedIn and just, or, you know, published on LinkedIn, delivered via email. 
that alone was stronger than majority of content engines out there, even companies much bigger, much more well-funded. And that's because we knew what worked. And then we took that and scaled it to video, to LinkedIn, to webinars, so on and so forth. So I think it's kind of important, like find gold, right? Uh, find where there's gold in those hills is what I tell my team. And then go get a bunch of dynamite, blow it up and get all the gold out of it before you move on to the next spot. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make in, in marketing too, is it? And I think that's what I think gone crush it and people don't realize is like you had a couple of things that you did very well and that's when you dominated. And you also created great content around, but like I'm talking about more of like the top of funnel channels. You created Gong Labs, which is kind of like was your like pillar content. Yeah. And that was what was able to for you to create great LinkedIn content. It was able for you, which you dominated. And then it was able to, for you to create other places. And then you also allowed personal brands to be equipped with that, like Gong Lab content, which was like, it, a lot of times they're like, that's like lost at something I think you do really well is I think people don't think about it as like creating some pillar asset that you, you could have a foundation like Gong Labs is a pillar, it's a, a podcast that you think yeah, clarity is like a pillar so that you do for a long term. So how specific do you get with projections when pitching ideas to leadership? Under promise over deliver is cannot be overstated enough. It kind of depends. So if you don't have any historical data, then you want to lowball as much as possible and then over deliver. So for example, if you're launching up, we can run with a podcast. You have no idea. I mean, you might have an idea. You have no real concrete idea, though, of like how many listeners you're going to get in the first month. And I could see that playing out. Like, you know, we're going to get a bunch of people to hear our message. Well, how many people, Devin? Could be a thousand, could be 10,000. What if you put out a marketing podcast? Uh, you know, a guy named Daniel Murray hears it, puts it on his newsletter because he likes it so much, and you blow up, right? You might get instant, somewhat instant success. Or it could take you two years for Daniel to catch on to it and other people like him, right? And I mean that Daniel, like the marketer, you know, in the target audience or Daniel, like someone who has a media you know, company to reach who could help uh, amplify you. So it's impossible to say for sure is the, is the honest answer. So if you don't have any historical data, then you want to do your best guess. Look at how many people you have in your um, owned and unowned audiences, conversion rates for email, right? And just kind of give yourself like, you know, you can do some quick math and just try to get an understanding and a, and a best guess. If it is a, a new blog series or something where you probably have historical data, look at that. Don't project flat because if it's flat, it's not really interesting to execs or anybody. No one's going to fund like flat growth. So be really intentional of your goal setting and why you're doing it. Like, hey, we're going to get a 20% lift in web traffic. Okay, cool. That's probably pretty interesting. If you can do 20% lift in web traffic in a quarter on a blog series, I'd, I'd hear that out, right? So you want to give that and then again, go a level deeper. Why Why web traffic? Why that? Why that? Like ask why a lot before you go and pitch a, an idea because that's the exec's job is to not just say yes, but to say no to things that aren't really going to move the business forward because going back, you can't do everything at once. How do you think about creating that content that becomes like shareable moments? What goes into your mind to think about like shareable moment content? Oh, good question. There's a, there's an equation and then there's an aha moment. So the equation is all content. Uh, social media has has to be one of these three things because it's so, so short form, but it should be insightful, relevant, and actionable. Insightful, 
Is this some new information that made my eyebrows go up? Because I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. Or did my eyebrows go down because I'm like, hmm, I'm thinking about that. I don't know. Relevant is, does this topic help my audience right now today? Actionable meaning, is there a part of this content where I take maybe a big idea or something new or existing, but I make it super actionable? So, hey, don't do this on a cold call. That doesn't work. Do this instead. Copy, paste, super easy to put into play. That is the recipe for things to be uh, extremely shareable. The other part that I try to add is like an aha moment. It's a big idea, a reframe, a new way of thinking about something. It's usually kind of like a pull, you know, like the pull quote, kind of think of it like that, like one really key marquee thought that usually gets uh, some sort of emotion going. And that also is kind of a trigger for people to go, oh, I want to share this. Remember, people share things to make themselves look good or look smart. This is psychology. It's not me. So you want to make people feel feel good, feel smart uh, so that they'll pass along your your content. Yeah. And last question before we wrap up is like, what's something that you're most excited about, about the opportunity and that you're going to do that's different than you've done in the past? I'm not going to share exactly yet because I'm, I'm going to keep it close <laughs> until it's live. But the thing I will honestly oh, really is uh, it'll be a new category of content that has not existed yet. We're going to launch that in a couple months. And the thing that's a little more immediate is honestly, it's like building that media company inside the content team. We don't really have that today. We have a blog, but we don't have podcasts. Our social media is not really zero click content. It's a little more promotional than I'd like it to be. So starting to flip existing channels and building new ones. So we have that media company. That's what gets me super excited. And then lastly, I want to Give a little chance for you to say where people are going to find you. Also, you should everybody should go subscribe to the newsletter. It's amazing. So I can let him talk a little bit about it, but I'm just hyping it up before because he writes great content there and all the things that people could find you at. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I'm on two places. I talked about him a bunch of LinkedIn and email. Don't have a podcast yet. But yeah, so every week I publish the content strategy reader, which is my free newsletter. The kind of what's in it for you is you'll get better content creation and strategy in less than five minutes delivered every Saturday morning. Pairs perfect with, uh, you know, bowl of cereal, your favorite cereal or a cup of coffee. But I share everything that I believe, know, and, and have learned in kind of my journey. And so if you want it, thanks, Eric. Go to the reader.co, punch your email in and uh, hang out with us this Saturday. I'm going to talk about my 10 uh, content operating principles, some we covered today and some we didn't have time for. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining. This has been great. And I hope everybody enjoyed this event. And thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. And thanks, Daniel. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening. Keep tuning in to hear more great insights from the coolest marketers from around the world. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and follow the Marketing Millennials podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, I would greatly appreciate you giving us a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.